You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Welcome back to another edition of Funky Monkey MMA. I am Kane Miller. With me, we have Matt Webb. Uh, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Kane. All right, man. Sounds good. All right, for this show, we're going to be breaking down the entire UFC 210 card. The UFC will be returning to Buffalo, New York for the first time in quite a while. And we have a really good card in front of us, a lot of fights lined up. And we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, for this first show, Matt and I will be breaking down the eight preliminary fights, starting with the first fight pass prelim, and then moving our way up to the final Fox Sports 1 fight. And then in our second recording, we will jump into the main card, because I think that there's quite a lot to break down there, and it'll take us a little bit more time. But uh, before then, we'll go ahead and jump into these uh, UFC fight pass prelims, starting with a matchup in the flyweight division. We have Janelle Lausa taking on Magomed Ibulatov. So Janelosa, this will be his second UFC fight. Um, his first UFC opponent, he lacked experience, but I think Lausa still looked pretty good there. Pretty light, pretty light on his feet, kind of a scrappy guy. Has some decent punching power and decent speed. Um, and he's pretty good kind of working his way outside. Um, Magomed Bibulatov, he is quite experienced, even though this is, this is his UFC debut. He has uh, 13 fights, no losses. He kind of likes to stalk his opponents, though he does have some pretty good fluid striking, and he's very creative with his stand-up game. He kind of strings his combinations together very in a very unorthodox manner. He'll kind of throw a lot of swing attacks and then loop around back with like a punching combination. It kind of throws his, a lot of his opponents off. And on top of that, he's also gone five rounds. His cardio is very good, and he has that Russian wrestling background. So he's pretty good with his takedowns and his top game, too. So I think this will be a pretty fun one to start off the night. But, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I believe it's going to be a really fun fight. I think a telling part of Laos's game is that his last fight against Yao Ziku was the his opponent was two and four, which mm-hmm. that that kind of set off some alarms for me. Is that the fact yeah. that that fight went to a unanimous decision? Though he was, I mean, he clearly outmatched his opponent pretty much consistently throughout the entire fight. However, just still not being able to get to the finish. I mean, he created a lot of opportunities. I mean, he has a the high kick he hit Yao with was very very impressive, and he throws a lot of his shots extremely hard. One thing mm-hmm. I noticed is that he has a very, very, very quick jab, and he doesn't mm-hmm. – uh, it's not a telling jab. Like, you don't see it coming. He's got forceful and fast entries. But what was shown in his first fight in his UFC debut is that boxing style. He's very heavy on his lead leg. So he was getting leg kicked pretty consistently throughout the fight. However – um I mean, besides that, he he's powerful, and he doesn't discriminate. He will go to the body. He will go to the head. 
and every shot is pretty much designed to hurt you, which I like that, but also I don't like that because mm-hmm. the consistency that just trying to throw powerful shots throughout the fight left him open, and he was outclassing his opponent the entire time, but I just think that he should have finished the fight because he was so he overmatched his opponent so much, and there was opportunities to finish the fight, so the, fight, the fact that his opponent was too informed is kind of alarming. He outclassed him, but I just I just feel like he could have just got the finish. But and he seemed to gas at the end of the fight. At the end of the second round, he was, you know, on his back, and that's the cost of those powerful shots that you throw throughout the fight. He was on his back and he was getting teed off on, and then the third round he kind of boxed his way to a decision. He's, I mean, I'm I'm excited for the guy. He's really, really, really talented. I'm glad to see him uh, in the UFC and. This is going to be a good fight. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I like Lhasa, and yeah, I think he looked pretty good in his debut, but like we were saying, his opponent wasn't very experienced. He was 2-4, and four. and based on that, I feel like Lhasa could have done even better, and because of that, that's why I'm leaning towards Debilitov in this fight. Um, what we saw from Lhasa in his debut is that while his striking is very fluid, very fast, very good, when he was put on his back against his opponent, who is not as good of a wrestler as his upcoming opponent, Lausa really didn't offer much there, you know, out of his guard when he was inside control. He really didn't have much of an offense, and he kind of allowed his opponent to tee off on him. And that's something that's very concerning for this fight, because, like I was saying, uh, Debulatov, he has that strong Russian wrestling style, and when he gets his guys to the ground, he has very powerful takedowns. And while he can struggle to keep them on the ground... He's very good once he gets there. You know, he's good at uh, hanging out in half guard or side control and really teeing off from there. And based on Mouse's inexperience in the grappling from his last fight, that's why I'm leaning more towards Bidulatov. I think that for Lausa, he needs to stay on the outside, pump that jab, try to chop away his opponent and not let him close the distance. But given Magomed's very unorthodox striking, I think that it might be difficult for Lhasa to get into his stand-up rhythm. And I think that before too long, Babilasov will just rely on his wrestling, look to clinch him up against the fence, get some powerful takedowns, and kind of grind out a win from there, though. Yeah, when uh, looking at Magomed's fights, he's he's extremely fast-paced. I mean, he's 0-100 to throughout his transitions and throughout the takedowns. He can... He has he'll put on constant pressure. It's like a frantic pace almost, and uh, he has a depth kicking game too, which is very strange and doesn't fit his overall game. But he's not afraid to throw random spinning back kicks. Not afraid to throw some random side kicks. He reminds me of a flyweight version of Hustam Kabilov. That's who he reminds yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's he's, a good comparison. I think very frantic pace. Very good wrestler. I mean, he's a Russian fighter. Stereotypical Russian fighter is an extremely good grappler, extremely strong, and has really good cardio. The funny thing about those stereotypes is how true they are because every Russian fighter is tough as nails and can grapple their ass off. So Magomed fits that mold perfectly. He's fearless in there. He's not afraid to go and, you know, slug it out if he needs to, but my thoughts exactly. He he has more ways to win than Janelle Lhasa. Now, one thing Magomed can get 
in trouble is that frantic phase coming in and out. Magomed could get, or Janelle could catch him. I think that could happen. Louse's, Louse's counter game is very strong. His, his, Louse is straight right. It comes down the pipe and it's just, there's almost no telegraph to it. So I could see him using that straight right and catching Magomed perfect and possibly wilting him. But Magomed's undefeated. I mean, he's 13-0. He's making his debut, but 13-0 still, that's a staple of the saying that he doesn't know how to uh, lose yet. So mm-hmm. I'm also going with Magomed. I'm, I'm actually picking Magomed to win by submission. Okay, yeah, sounds like we're in agreement there, uh, Matt, picking Magomed by submission. I'm leaning more towards a decision, I think a unanimous decision, but I could see him getting the finish on the ground either way. But uh, either way, we have Bibilatov winning that fight. And uh, up next, we are taking the action over to the women's phantom weight division with Caitlin Chukagan taking on Irene Aldana. Caitlin Chukagan, she is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. She has a win over Lauren Mirakli, but lost a split decision to Liz Carmouche in a very competitive fight back at UFC 205. And then we have Irene Aldana, who is one of the top uh, bantamweights. She was one of the top bantamweights outside the UFC, fighting in Invicta for quite a few years. Uh, and then she finally made her debut, but unfortunately lost a fight of the night decision to Leslie Smith. But she still showed some promise there. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts here? Uh, Caitlin Chugagan, I, I like who she surrounds herself with, mainly the camp she comes from. I mean, she trains mm-hmm. with uh, Frankie Edgar, Edson Barbosa, Marlon Rice. You know, she's a Mark Henry trained fighter. She's a lengthy bantamweight, which... And her fights against Lauren Murphy and Liz Carmouche, that lengthiness really helped her out by throwing straight punches and throwing uh, kicks to kind of keep her opponents at distance. But Aldana is also a lengthy fighter. 5'9 for the women's bandweight division, that's, that's ext- I mean, that's tall. That's very, yeah. very tall. And yeah. Caitlin uses, she uses her reach extremely well. One thing I noticed in the Carmouche fight, which may not hold much water here, is she was taken down very easy. Liz Carmouche is very fitting to her nickname, Gorilla, because she can take anybody down. She's a monster. But Chukagan was taken down extremely easy and was at times big sistered in the fight, just pushed around and sometimes seemed to be mauled. But then again, like she's a very process driven fighter. Like she's very the combinations she throws are predetermined. She's a she's a rope fighter. Every combination is she knows Okay, after the one-two, I'm gonna lead it with a high kick, and which that's how she called Liz Carmouche. Every combination she throws is just it's just a pattern, and she's used to throwing them, and that's why I'm doing big on comparisons right now for some reason. But she reminds me a lot of Carlos Condit. That's who she, she's very similar to Carlos Condit in the way she strikes. Yeah. She's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that comparison. She's not reactive but she's very active and she throws a lot of volume and all of her strikes. One thing that she doesn't sit down on her punches, which kind of drives me crazy sometimes because she, when she does sit down, she has substantial power in her shots. She's got a really good gas tank though. That also showed in the Carmouche fight. And uh, one thing though, which also won't hold much water in this fight, it could I don't see it holding much water, is that she did eat multiple leg kicks from Liz Carmouche, and Aldana is a good striker in herself. Her fight with uh, Leslie Smith was a 
really good fight and showed her toughness in that fight. I'm excited for this fight. I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to be a really good stand-up war. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. Um, it's really difficult to predict just because both women are fairly similar. You know, they're both very big for the weight class, very tall and lengthy. Uh, Caitlin Chukagan, you know, like you were saying, very good technical striking, good footwork. Uh, that head kick that she landed over Liz Carmouche in the third round of their fight, like, I thought that was going to be it. I thought that she was going to have the comeback and finish the fight right there, but Carmouche, being so tough, was able to ride it out and win the decision. Yeah, I, I made note of it that Chukagan's wrestling still needs work, because you know, Carmouche, I mean, she's like, she's a strong, strong fighter. Like, she just picked her up and slammed her down and worked her ground and pound. But like you were saying, I don't think that that'll really come into play here. I think that Aldana's grappling is better, but I don't consider her to be like a super strong wrestler. You know, she has a pretty good submission game, which she showed in Invicta, but I don't see her like really scoring with those huge takedowns like Carmouche was able to capitalize on. Now, Aldana, I do think she has maybe a little bit more power in her hands. Uh, you know, Chikagin might have more power in her feet with her kicks, but I think I'll, I think Irene's boxing is a little bit more crisp. I think she has good head, head movement, really good boxing combinations. And that could be the difference here. Uh, like we were saying, both girls are very durable. Um, and so I, I'm not sure if either of them will be finished. But if someone were to get the finish, I would actually lean more towards Aldana because we know that she can take that punishment, those big shots from Leslie Smith, who's one of the harder hitters in her division. And we haven't really seen Chukagan tested like that yet. And so if someone were to get the finish, I would go with Aldana probably by way of TKO. But I see this one going to a decision more often than not, probably a split decision. And I'm actually leaning towards Aldana here. I think that her slightly more fluid boxing combinations will really help her here. You know, her length will help her stay on the outside and not get caught with those head kicks from Chukagan. And I think that Aldana can move in on the inside score with her one-two combinations, and then exit, and then maybe even mix in her grappling as well. And, um, yeah, I, I just see Irene Aldana kind of outworking her opponent here. I think it'll be either a unanimous, a unanimous decision or even a split decision, but overall I think it's Aldana's more crisp boxing skills that are really going to help her get her hand raised. Yeah, that's kind of what I think is the main stark in contrast to these two fighters is Chukagan, she has a more depth kicking game than yeah. Aldana does. Aldana sits down on her punches much more than Chukagan does. So I'm kind of in the same camp as you, I believe, if the fight were to finish. I think Aldana would do it. She also has really good boxing. Neither of these fighters really care for the ground game. If it does go mm -hmm. to the ground, I give the edge to Caitlin. So I'm on the same page as you are, but I think the counter ability of Chukagian is going to work in this fight because Irene Aldana, she does have a tendency to get hit. She leaves her chin up very high, and that's what that's how Leslie Smith caught her, caught her with that overhand and dropped her to the floor. And I think if Aldana, Aldana prefers to pressure, she can, you know, counter, she can backpedal. But I see Aldana pressuring uh, Chukagian and then Chukagian landing a shot and really just taking the fight over from that standpoint, I believe Aldana would be the one to finish it, but her consistency to just leave her chin out there spells bad news. So I'm I'm taking Chukagian for decision. 
Uh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I can't blame you for taking her. I think that because both women are pretty similar, it's kind of hard to pick. Um, I think it'll be a close fight either way, and I think it'll be a fun fight either way. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the UFC's lightweight division. We have Josh Emmett taking on Desmond Green. Josh Emmett, he is undefeated as a professional, 11-0 and and 2-0 and in the UFC so far. He's looked pretty good. He trains out of a good camp uh, with Team Alpha Male. I, I believe he's still there. Um, he has a pretty good wrestling game, uh, some good power, and he's fought a pretty good level of competition. He's fought, he, he beat John Tuck and Scott Holtzman, who are both pretty talented guys. No one, like, he hasn't really looked like a world beater yet, but I think that he's shown good potential in the UFC so far, but he will be tested in this next fight when he takes on Desmond Green. Now, Desmond Green, he's been a pretty impressive uh, fighter, kind of bouncing around the regional circuit for several years now. You know, he's fought in Bellador, he's fought in Titan FC, and I've had my eye on him for quite a long time since his Bellator days, so I'm happy that he's finally getting the UFC call. Desmond Green, he's really more of a wrestler. He likes to take his guys down. He has some good powerful takedowns. He likes to grind out the win and try to wear him down. And he's he's been five rounds before. I mean, Desmond Green has really good cardio, so I think that that will really come into play here. Um, and on top of that, he has some pretty good striking, too. A lot of people think of him more as a wrestler, but he has some decent movement. He's kind of a, a lanky guy. He has some decent kicks and some decent elbows, too. So that might come into play. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it'll be a pretty fun fight here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Green finally in the UFC. But, uh, Matt, how do you weigh in on this one? Josh Emmett in his UFC debut against John Tuck, I believe he took that fight on short notice. I'm remembering Yeah, correctly. yeah. It, it, was, it was pretty short notice from what I remember. Yeah. He's a – what I wrote down in my notebook here is built like a brick house because he is built yeah. like a brick house. He's extremely athletic really explosive. He has a depth boxing, very willing to stand in the pocket and trade. And that showed against this, uh, in his fight against Scott Holtzman. He's explosive. You know, he, you know, would throw in the Holt and, uh, Scott Holtzman fight he threw random flying knees and mm-hmm. it really touched up Scott Holtzman to a great deal. And also he's, he shows that he trains out team alpha male with his ability to capitalize on scrambles and transitions. He's not he's not afraid. He's very fearless. He's very well coached. And he's a very educated fighter. He's eleven and zero, but he doesn't fight like he he's eleven and zero. He's fight like he has thirty fights. And he's because his build with how short and stocky he is, he's extremely dangerous in short range. He loves the overhand right. And that uh his last fight against Scott Holtzman, that was an extremely extremely good fight because one, the cardio showed. It showed that Josh Emmett's not going to wilt, you know, and that's a good thing that showed that because Desmond Green is used to wilting people. Yeah. So I think I think that part of Josh Emmett's game is going to be important in this fight because, like you said, Desmond Green, I mean, he's only 27 years old, I believe, but, man, is he a veteran at 27, just a yeah. very, very, very – you know, colorful, colorful resume. You know, he's fought yeah. guys and has wins over Steven Seiler, M- Miguel Torres, Mike Richmond. I mean, Jesus, his first fight, he beat Rob Font. That's extremely impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he was really, like, I had forgotten just how young he is. I mean, he's only 27, 
but to have over 20 fights and to have that many fights at such a high-level experience, I mean, that's really impressive, you know, and it really shows because he's become a really seasoned guy over his career, and it really shows in his fights with how educated and how well he performs all the time. Yeah, you know, he's kind of bounced around, uh, bounced around weight classes. I noticed mm-hmm. that. Yeah, because he went to featherweight to lightweight, then went to welterweight, and now he's back down to lightweight. He had the featherweight Titan FC championship. But the main thing I took away from Desmond Green's game is he's a grinder. He enjoys the clinch. He's got he's got kind of like you were saying, his striking is underrated because what I noticed in his game is he has good distance management. That's he's never too far, and he's never too close. He knows exactly where to be in the cage at all times. And essentially, his whole game is based that around getting to the clinch, getting a takedown, pressing you, just leaning on you, and so you have to carry his weight throughout the fight. And that part, that controlling nature of his fight game and that controlling wrestling base of his fight game, it doesn't make him, you know, he is well-rounded. It doesn't make him, you know, no one's in there thinking all right, I need to make sure I don't stand with this guy. You know, this guy's kicks are dangerous. Mm-hmm. This guy's, you know what Desmond Green's going to go in there and do. Uh, Josh Emmett, he's more wild card. He has crisp, crisp boxing. He will throw, like I said, rogue flying knees, rogue high kicks, and he's also a good wrestler. I think Josh yeah. Emmett's more well-rounded than Desmond Green is, but if for some reason I'm going with Desmond Green showing his, you know, 27-year-old veteran savvy and coming in getting a decision win. Yeah, I see it going down the same way. I'm also taking Green here. The main reason that I'm siding with Green is that, like you said, Josh Emmett, like, he he's short and stocky. You know, he's built like a brick house. He has tons of muscle mass. But that really does take a toll on your gas tank. And, you know, it showed a lot in the in the John Tuck fight, but I think that was also just because it was so short notice. But I think it showed a little bit in that in the Holtzman fight too, because I think that Emmett can sometimes get carried away with those power punches, with those power takedowns that he's good at. But when he can't really find when he when he can't find the finish later in the fight around like halfway through the second round and then the third round, his cardio I think really starts to drain. And I think that'll be his downfall in this fight because Desmond Green, you know, like we mentioned before, he's gone five rounds before. He just he takes guys down, he wears them out, and he just and and he he makes them wilt. And I think that that'll be his key to victory here. Well, I think that Emmett can win the first round. He might even have Green in some trouble here. I think that he could land a big combination and maybe have him in some early trouble, but Desmond Green has always had a good chin. He's never been finished by knockout, and so I think that he can probably weather the storm, and then Green will eventually clinch up with him, score with takedowns, and then win the second and third round. So I think it'll be a good first round for Emmett, but eventually he's in a fade, and then Green will take over later in the fight and then win the decision, I think. So I think we're both... uh, Seeing this going the same way, uh, I think we're going to see Desmond Green be a decision for this one based on his better gas tank and his wrestling skills. Jay, I agree, and but one thing I want to say is that this the Josh Emmett versus Desmond Green fight, it's like a really good crossover fight, like two really good prospects, yeah. and they're both extremely versatile, so I really enjoyed this fight as a crossroads fight. I would not be surprised if Josh Emmett wins. Like I would not be surprised at all. 
because how skillful and talented Josh Emmett is, even this, you know, at this stage of his career. So just like a late addendum to that, it's going to be a really good fight. I'm super excited to see where these two prospects end up. I agree with you on Green winning and getting the decision, but if Josh Emmett wins, I will not be surprised whatsoever. They're both extremely talented. Yeah, I agree. I I wouldn't be very surprised if Emmett uh, did win, um, just because he he has looked very promising so far. Overall, it is it is the cardio that has me siding with Green. But yeah, two good prospects here. Wouldn't be surprised to see either of them get their hand raised. And yeah, I I think it'll help put either guy on the map here. But um, yeah, with that, we'll move on to the final UFC fight pass prelim. We have Gregor Gillespie taking on Andrew Holbrook. All right, so we have Gregor Gillespie, who made his UFC debut back in September of 2016. He faced uh, Glycal Franca, who's a pretty good prospect, caught him on his home turf in Brazil, and was able to win a pretty impressive decision here. Uh, Gregor, he has a very good grappling, really strong top game. He has just really good wrestling, especially when he gets his opponent's back. I mean, he just, like, he latches onto your back, and he does not let go, and he just swarms you with ground and pound and submission attempts. And that's one of the reasons he's looked so good thus far. And he's undefeated uh, 8-0, so that kind of speaks for itself. Andrew Holbrook, he has UFC experience, but I really haven't been overly impressed with him thus far. You know, he had, in his debut, he had that decision win over Ramsey Najem, but that was a pretty big robbery, though. Many people scored that fight for Ramsey. After that, he suffered a quick knockout to Joaquin Silva, and now he's coming off of a split decision win over, granted, a, a good prospect in Jake Matthews, but I haven't really seen anything from Holbrook, from Holbrook that makes me think that he'll like stay around for a really long time, and that's why I'm leaning, well, that's why I'm leaning towards Gillespie here. Uh, but uh, before we get into that, though, Matt, what are your thoughts here? I have a different take on Andrew Holbrook than you do. Mm-hmm. I, I could understand, you know, the the Ramsey Nijum fight. I I agree with you on that. And then the second fight, he got TKO'd. Which, but the third fight in his UFC career against Jake Matthews, I thought that was an extremely telling fight, and I thought that was a really yeah. good fight. It was a good it was a good fight for Jake Matthews because he got a significant amount of resistance from Andrew Holbrook. But I thought Andrew Holbrook, you know, deserved the decision and. Lightweight is talented beyond belief. The number 11 guy in the world could fight the number 32 guy in the world, and it would mm-hmm. be, you know, damn near dead even because how talented that weight class is. Yeah, I like Andrew. I like Andrew Holbrook because he's extremely. I mean, he's well rounded, and it seems throughout the fight he's never out of his element. And that I enjoy that about fighters. I enjoy the calmness with the fighters. I've, I've written down. He fights out of indie boxing and grappling, and he fights very much like his uh, like his coach, Chris Lytle. Mm-hmm. He leans on his intelligence and savviness throughout the fight. And I like that's what I like about Holbrook is I feel like no is he stepping off the bus looking like a world killer. No is he – does he have strength for days? Does he have knockout power? No, he doesn't have all those things, but what he does have is – an intelligent MMA game. He's in a really consistent jiu-jitsu game. I mean, nine wins by submission is nothing to slouch at. I, yeah. I like him because he's a consistently calm fighter, and extremely intelligent. And I think this fight against uh, Gregor Gillespie is going to be really, really good for Holt Brook. And I have him winning the fight, 
But Gregor is a powerful wrestling, extremely coachable. In his corner and his debut, he was yes, sir, and no, sir. He's a no-nonsense fighter. He will do whatever it takes to get that takedown. And he has a good top jiu-jitsu game. You can see that with his arm triangle submissions. You can see that with his rear naked choke. Like you were saying, when he gets the back, he will not get – you're going to have a hard time shaking him off. And he's a big 155-er. Like, his frame is really big. But I like Holbrook in the fight just because just Holbrook's intelligence and just because Holbrook's ability to adapt. I, it's going to be a grind of fight, and that's what's exciting to me. I'm ready to see a grind. I'm ready to see Gillespie's wrestling versus Holbrook's jiu-jitsu game and Holbrook's all-around, all well-rounded MMA game. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's it's definitely good input there. And, you know, Holbrook, he does have a good jiu-jitsu game, but one thing that I've noticed is that he kind of, he's one of those guys that favors submission over position. You know, he, he likes to commit a lot to to his jiu-jitsu and going for submissions, trying to finish the fight, even if it puts him in risky scenarios. And that can oftentimes put him in, in, it can put his opponents in a more dominant position. And I think that that's going to be a really tricky game to play against a guy like Gillespie, who, like we said, is a very strong wrestler. Uh, Gillespie, he is very strong in the clinch. I think he's the better wrestler between the two. And on top of that, he has pretty decent boxing skills. So striking defense needs work, but I think his stand-up is actually going to be superior because uh, Holbrook, I think, is more of a pure grappler, and I think that his movements and striking techniques still need some work there. Um, yeah, the, the main reason why I'm going with Gillespie is I think that his wrestling is going to be the key difference here. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Holbrook were able to catch Gillespie in a submission, maybe out of his guard, like if he caught him in a triangle or in an armbar or something like that. But I think it's Holbrook's kind of overcommitment to his jiu-jitsu offense that has me picking against him here. I think that... Gillespie can kind of set up his he can set up his takedowns with more with his uh, more technical boxing skills before kind of taking Holbrook into the clinch, outworking him there, outmuscling him there before scoring with some big takedowns and kind of grinding out a win. Um, yeah, unless Holbrook can kind of catch him in a submission, then I think that Gillespie will will get the decision win here. I think the main reason I'm winning on Holbrook is because. No, he he he's not a master of any of his trades, but he is the mm-hmm. jack of all trades. You know, yeah. his and I'm leaning on his adaptability. One thing that I noticed about Gillespie is he does have like his boxing game is extremely basic. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. gonna wow anybody with his boxing game, but he does have a really good pop in his shots and he can rock his opponent. So he has an underappreciated jab. He pretty much just sets up, uses his boxing to set up his takedown. But in that setup, with his boxing, he, you know, pretty usually surprises people. Like they get hit by him, like, oh, didn't expect that, and then he takes them down. So, I like Gregor Gillespie. I think he's going to be a good guy in the UFC for a long time. But I'm, I'm leaning on Andrew Holbrook with a decision just because his adaptability and his ability to go in there and just be consistent throughout the fight. And I think that will take shape in the three rounds. Yeah, yeah, all right, sounds good. Uh, so we have Matt going with Holbrook. Uh, I myself will be going with Gillespie. I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But um, with that, we'll move on to the first fight. 
of the Fox Sports 1 prelims. We have Patrick Cummins taking on Ian Blackowitz. So Patrick Cummins has kind of had an interesting UFC career thus far. You know, he had that uh, infamous short notice debut against Daniel Cormier all the way back at UFC 170, and he was finished pretty quickly there. You know, it was just kind of a, it was such a huge step up in competition for him. But uh, after that, you know, in a few fights after that, he was actually looking like a pretty decent prospect thanks to that really world-class wrestling that he has. He had those wins over Kyle Kingsbury and, and Antonio Carlos Jr., and he was looking pretty decent, but in his last three out of his last four fights, he's really looked shaky, though. He has those knockout losses to Ovin St. Peru and Glover Teixeira and Antonio Rogerio Noguera. He's looked just... He's looked very questionable over his past few fights, and that's just because his striking is so underdeveloped. On top of that, his chin has just shown to not be very good, and that really makes that's really made a lot of people question how much longer he can continue fighting in the UFC just based on his defense and his durability alone. Um, and he'll be facing Dan Blackwitz, who he's been in the UFC for for a while now. He had that uh, very impressive debut against Euler Latifi, that first-round TKO. Um, but he's kind of struggled since then. You know, he, he's lost Corey Anderson. He's lost Jamie Manoa. And then he's most recently coming off of a loss to Alexander Gustafson. Now, to his credit, I thought that I thought that Gustafson was just going to finish him and make it a pretty easy win. But Blackwoods actually gave him some trouble there. And I think that it showed that Yan is still a pretty talented guy. I think that he's just had a really he's had a really rough luck facing top competition. Um, I think that's what makes it a pretty interesting fight here. But Matt, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I'm in agreement with you, uh, Blakovich. His his UFC career he's two and three, but you know mm-hmm. if you just look at that record by the numbers, that's not impressive. But I mean the guys he's lost to Alexander mm-hmm. Gustafson, Corey Anderson, Jimmy Manoa, those are all top tier light heavyweights. I mean, if the tier, if the tiers are like champion one through five, and then I would put Blakovich on that tier where he's not, I wouldn't say he's a contender, but he's he's consistently in the fight. I mean, the Gustafson fight, he hung in there the entire time. You know, yeah. his only wins are against Ilir Latifi and Igor uh, Parkryuk. He's a good fighter. Like, he's a good striker, too. And he has, I mean, he has wins over Houston Alexander, Mario Miranda, so could you. You know, and the Ilor Ratifi, Goran Relic. He's a good, grizzled fighter. And he's a good striker. And he's just, like, he's a pretty good all-around fighter. His wrestling is something to be desired, which I believe that's something that Patrick Cummins can rely on. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is, the, I mean, it's, it's black and white. Blakovich wants to knock Pat Cummins out. Pat Cummins wants to take Blakovich down. And like you were saying, Pat Cummins, his last fights, I mean, those knockouts were rough. The Glover yeah. Teixeira knockout was, I mean, that was hard to watch. And then, you know, to follow up, the Noguera knockout was even harder to watch than the Teixeira knockout. Yeah, so he has four losses in the UFC, and all four are by punches. And he's about to go into the ring with Blakovich, who's a very, very powerful puncher. He has a very, very good striking game. So, in my opinion, what's going to happen, I think it's pretty cut and dry. Blakovich 
knockout round one. That's what I think is going to happen unless Pat Cummins can kind of do what he did to uh, Javier Cavacante and just go in there and grind out a win and, you know, maybe get the stoppage late or just maybe just wear on Blakovich with a unanimous decision. I don't think that's going to happen. Pat Cummins is 36 years old. He's young in the game, but he's an old fighter, which is a strange sentence. But, I mean, his wrestling is top tier, but everything else in his game is just so underdeveloped, and he's at the age where it's hard for him to gain ground on his self being this underdeveloped. So I just think his chin is showing too much, and Blakovich is going to go in there and knock him out the first round. I got Blakovich knockout round uno. Sorry, Pat Cummins. I love you. I hate it, but that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I see it going down the exact same way. I think that, you know, Cummins, he's in an an interesting position because he's older. He's an older guy, but his career is so young, he only has a little bit over 10 fights, and it's just hard for him to keep progressing. And just based on how raw his game still is, I just don't see him getting his hand raised here. You know, his chin is just so shaky. It just doesn't, if he gets clipped with, really anything he seems to go down and he just can't really recover from it and that's that's going to be difficult when he's facing a guy like Yan who has good power I mean we saw what he did to Latifi and if he can do that to a durable guy like Ilir Latifi I think that he can definitely do that to Pat Cummins I think that unless Cummins can just immediately clinch just create no separation at all and try to grind out that win with his clinch game and with some takedowns, then maybe I could see Pat Cummins getting the win. But Blakovic himself is very strong in the clinch. He's a very strong, durable guy. And so I just don't think that Cummins is going to be able to do that for three full rounds. I think that eventually, sooner or later, Blakovic is going to be able to find that space to land a decent punch with power behind it and just put Cummins away. So, yeah, I think that sooner or later, most likely sooner, Ian Blakovitz is just going to find his opening, find the strike, because Patrick really leaves his chin out there, and I think that that'll leave a big opening for Blakovitz to capitalize. So I think that Blakovitz is going to capitalize with a big uh, combination, maybe a big single shot, and just make it a quick night. I, I, yeah, I see Ian Blakovitz getting his hand raised by first-round knockout. All right, and with that, we will move on to our next fight in the featherweight division. We have Charles Rosa taking on Shane Burgos. Charles Rosa has looked all right in the UFC so far. I think that he's faced a decent level of of competition. You know, he had that short notice fight over Dennis Seaver, where he still looked pretty good there, even though he lost. And he's had to face guys like Yair Rodriguez, and that was before we even knew how good Rodriguez was. And Rosa still looks pretty good there. And he's coming off of a unanimous decision win over Kyle Bokniak, who's, I I think, a pretty good prospect as well. Um, He just kind of, the thing about Rosa, he has a strong grappling game. He has a good pace and a high output, but he kind of lacks that technical ability. You know, he's not overly technical with any of his offense. He just kind of likes to go out there, put the pace on his opponents, and try to overwhelm them with his attack. And that can kind of, it can really take a toll on him because, when he faces more technical guys, he, he's on the shorter end of the stick. You know, and we saw that in the year Rodriguez fight. Now, his opponent, Shane Burgos, this will be his second fight in the UFC. 
And he looked okay in his debut. He has some decent technical striking. His striking defense needs to be tightened up a bit. And he has some okay power as well. He fought um, Tiago uh, de Santos de Silva, in his um, debut. And he managed to hurt him pretty well. He kind of, Burgos, he kind of likes to stalk his opponents and kind of throw those punching combinations and try to hurt him on the feet. And I think that it worked out well for him. I don't know how well he's going to do against the higher levels of competition, but I think his technical striking alone will be good enough for him to have some decent success. But this is kind of an interesting fight for him for a few reasons. But, uh, Matt, do you want to weigh in on this one? Yeah, Charles Rosa does – he has a good ground game, like you were saying. He – one thing that kind of drives me crazy in his fights is he, like, seamlessly just switches stances consistently throughout yeah. the fight. It's kind of that quote-unquote neo-footwork. Like, he's mm-hmm. switching stances, but it doesn't seem like – he does it's kind of like Uriah Faber does. Uriah Faber will randomly switch stances. And there's there doesn't seem to be a real reason he's doing it besides just to throw, you know, some front leg sidekicks or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed in his fights is he's – throwing the entire fight as if he's sparring. Like, there's no conviction in his shots, which is fine. I mean, you can be a rhythm striker, and you can be a striker who consistently goes out there and throws, and you don't have to sit down on every punch. But there's no there's no part in Charles Rose's stand-up where you're just like, oh, oh, my God, yeah, watch out. Yeah, there's no threatening part of his stand-up is what I'm trying to say. His grappling though is very his grappling is very threatening. That choke that uh, he hit on Sean Soriano, the Darce choke, that was that's high level and he did it late in the fight, so that just shows, you know, his ability to grapple and his ability to be technical at the beginning, middle and end of a fight. But Shane Burgos is he's a really good prospect and he doesn't like to be in there for very long. I mean he has all of his fights are finishes except the last one against uh, Tiago Trador, and that that was his UFC debut. So usually the jumps for a you know freshman UFC debut into a sophomore fight is usually consistently pretty big, especially I think for a talented guy like Shane Burgess. I mean his boxing is really crisp, and he you know Tiago Trador is a pretty good fighter in his own right, and mm-hmm. Shane Burgess touched him up throughout the fight and had really good takedown defense. I just don't see anything Charles Rosa could do to threaten Shane Burgos. Like you said, Shane Burgos is kind of a stalker throughout the fight. He just waltzes around the cage. There's nothing Charles Rosa is going to do on the feet to scare Shane Burgos off. Now, could Shane Burgos get overcommitted to a shot and Charles Rosa catch him on the mat? Yes, that could happen. But I think Shane Burgos is going to win by TKO round if I'm guessing. Round one to get the rhythm timing and get the uh, distance. Round two to finish it off. Yeah, I kind of see it going the same way. Um, I, I do have questions about Burgess's grappling because when Traitor was able to take him into the clinch, he wasn't able to offer a whole lot. And when you have a really strong guy like Rosa who has good wrestling, I think that he could expose that as well. But the main reason why I'm also picking Burgess here is that Charles Rosa, he's very wild on the feet. You know, kind of like you were saying, he kind of like he switches his stances and he moves around a lot, and it sets a high pace. But his defense isn't great. You know, like in the year Rodriguez fight, he got tagged quite a bit with those unorthodox strikes, and 
I think that that could come into play here because I think that it's very possible that Rosa could get overcommitted and kind of just leave himself exposed to get lit up on the feet from Burgos, who has good power in his hands and good combinations. So I think that Burgos definitely has the striking advantage. For Rosa, he'd be wise to clinch it up, take him down, and go for those submissions. But I think that he might just get a little bit too carried away on the feet, and that'll allow Shane Burgos to take over. I think Shane Burgos is going to kind of stalk him, eventually weather the storm. I think that Rosa is going to start off pretty fast, but he's going to slow down before too long, which will allow Shane Burgos to take over. I think that Burgos will kind of stay on the outside, uh, but kind of like he, I think I think it'll keep pressing the pace and stuff those takedowns and eventually land some big shots. And either I think he'll get the TKO in like the second or third round once Rose is kind of slowed down, or he'll do enough to get the decision. But either way, I'm in agreement here. I think that Burgos will will get the win here. Uh, I just it's going to be a good fight. But I just don't I just don't see Charles Rosa doing anything on the feet to scare Burgos off. So that that's the main reason I'm going. To- with Burgos TK round two. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that I, I think that Burgos's more technical game is what's going to help him get the win here. I think that Rosa, good pace, still kind of raw though, and unless he uses his wrestling, I think that Burgos is just going to outclass him on the feet here. But uh, with that, we're going to go to the welterweight division. We have a very interesting matchup between two welterweight prospects with Kamaru Usman and Sean Strickland. Uh, Kamaru Usman, he is. Uh, he's undefeated in the UFC 9-1 overall, and he's looked like a really, really good prospect so far. You know, we saw him on the Ultimate Fighter, the, uh, the American top team versus the Black Civilians, and he looked really good on there. He fought some tough guys, and he's done a really good job in the UFC, too. I mean, he, he won the show. He went on to beat guys like Leon Edwards, and most recently, uh, Warley Alves, who's another pretty good prospect. And Usman was really able to dominate him in that fight. Usman, he's just one of those like really crazy athletic guys. You know, he has great wrestling, very physically strong, good cardio, and he likes to just kind of like take you down and just wear you down, overwhelm you with submission attempts, outposition you, ground and pound, and just yeah, just put you on your on your back and just not let you up. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's had so much success in the UFC thus far is because he has that big wrestling advantage and that just natural athleticism to boost. Now, this will be the toughest test of his career, though, because he'll be facing Sean Strickland, who has looked good in the UFC as well. He is 18-1 and overall, so he's very, very experienced. And he's fought some decent guys, too. His only loss is to Santiago Ponzanibio, who's one of the uh, better welterweights in the division. But on on top of that, Strickland, I mean, he, he beat Luke Barnett back when he was at middleweight, and he also has wins over Alex Garcia and Tom Brees, who are, who are good welterweight prospects as well. Strickland, he's not like just the natural athlete that Usman is, but I think that he's more well-rounded. He has some decent wrestling, he has pretty good jiu-jitsu, and he has good striking, too. He's very fluid with his boxing combinations, really moves in and out, and he does a really good job of being very technical and accurate with his strikes, as well as having some decent power, too. And we saw that in his finish over Alex Garcia. So I think that this will be a great welterweight matchup that will help establish. I think one guy will officially move from a prospect into a contender in this fight, and that's why I'm really looking forward to it. But, yeah, Matt, what are your your thoughts here? I'm in agreement with you with that statement that one will 
come from becoming a prospect to an actual contender. Kamari Usman is extremely talented. I mean, and his his UFC you know resume, he, you know, his, fight, uh, his first fight against Hader Hazan, and won by mm-hmm. arm triangle. Hader Hazan is he's a pretty good fighter, you know. But yeah. you know, his last three fights, Leon Edwards is really good. We saw that uh, in Leon Edwards' previous fight where he fin or I believe he finished. For sure, need to double check myself. But Leon Edwards. It, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, Leon Edwards' last fight against mm-hmm. Vincent Luque, he won. And Vincent Luque yeah. is a very good fighter. And he finished Albert Kamenov. That's who I'm thinking of. Okay, so mm-hmm. he beat Leon Edwards. That's a really good win for Kamar Usman. And then he beat Alexander Yakovlev. That's another really good win. And then to go on and beat Worley Alves, that's as good as a resume as anybody in the UFC watch what division this young in their career. And like you were saying, like Kamar Usman, he's just he's just a consistent grappler. He's never gonna he's never gonna wilt throughout the fight. He has extremely good cardio, and he he just smothers his opponents and he just outworks his opponents. And now that that just willpower to go in there and out wrestle each opponent he has, and especially the depth of opponents he's fought in the UFC so far. Why he is one of the most you know, highly talented prospect in the Westwood division sometimes. Uh, Sean Strickland, on the other side, is also very, very highly talented, and he's a really, really good, really well-rounded welterweight fighter. His That knockout of Alex Garcia was awesome. I love that fight. And he he's already fought another really well-rounded prospect, too, in Tom Breeze. In that fight, he won by split decision, but it was, you know, it was back and forth, but it was a good fight for Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland has an extremely educated jab, and he has really good striking. He's good on the ground. He's good everywhere. But I think the main part of this fight that needs to be discussed is that Kamar Usman's ability to out-wrestle anybody. Now, Strickland's ability to use defensive wrestling is really well, and he's very well-versed on the feet. I think he's more well-versed on the feet than Kamar Usman. I think his submission game is better than Kamar Usman. But Sean Strickland's ability to be very well-rounded is really good, but just Kamar Usman's wrestling is just great. And that's what I think is going to be the difference. I think Kamar Usman is going to go in there and out-wrestle Sean Strickland for three rounds like he's done past opponents in the UFC. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement here. I, I'm going with Usman as well. And it's it's just it's that wrestling, you know. I I think that that Strickland he is the more well-rounded fighter. He'll definitely want to keep the fight on the feet, you know, pump those long, rangy jabs that he's known for, and try to box him up. But I don't think that he's going to be able to keep Kamaru off of him, you know, because Kamaru Usman he takes guys down and he just, he makes them look like amateurs, you know. He just he overwhelms them with his grappling game and no one's been able to deal with it so far. And I, I really, I don't think that Sean Strickland's going to be able to deal with it either. Unless Strickland can kind of use that size and that length to really stay on the outside and not let Eastman close the distance. I could see that happening. But other than that, I, I'd like, I like, I see no other way than just Eastman closing the distance, clinching up, 
slamming Strickland down and just manhandling him for, for three rounds. I, that, that, that's really how I see it going. Um, I don't think that Usman will finish him because Strickland is very durable. I mean, he went three rounds with Santiago Ponzinibbio, who's a very hard hitter. But I still think that Usman will outposition him and outwork him on the mat just based on that sheer wrestling ability. And I think that Usman's going to get the decision here. Yeah, I, it, it wouldn't be shocking to see Strickland get the to get the decision, maybe just based on his striking advantage, because Usman's striking still needs a lot of work. But that pure grit and that grappling that Usman has, I, I just think that's going to be too much for, for Strickland to handle. So, yeah, I, I see it going the same way as you. I think that Usman is going to get the decision here, I think 30-27, and I think it's going to help elevate him to become a contender. But uh, with that, we'll go ahead and move on to the final UFC Fox Sports 1 prelim. We are going to the featherweight division, where we have Miles Jury taking on Mike Delator. Kind of an interesting matchup here. So we have Miles Jury, the former lightweight, who made his featherweight debut back in December of 2015. That was also the last time that we saw him fight, where he was submitted by Charles Oliveira. Now, at one point, Miles Jury was looking like a really solid prospect here. You know, he was coming off of the Ultimate Fighter. He had those big wins over guys like uh, Ramsey Najem and Michael Johnson. I mean, that was only his second UFC fight, and uh, Jury was able to dominate him there. He guys like Diego Sanchez and Takanori Gomi. He was looking like a really solid guy, but then he lost kind of an unimpressive decision to Donald Cerrone. I think that was just too big of a step up for him at the time. Now he's, of course, coming off of that submission loss to Charles Oliveira back in late 2015, and that was the last time we even saw Jury fight, so I'm kind of worried about ring rust here as well. But that being said, I think that he's still a very promising fighter, and I think that this will be a good fight for him upon his return. Uh, Mike Bellator, he's looked pretty good in the UFC thus far, but he's kind of one of those guys who's kind of like hanging around towards like the middle of the division, like middle, maybe kind of lower here of the division, and can't really work his way up to like the upper tier of of featherweight. You know, he has an impressive finish over Thiago Traitor. Um, he has a split decision back in uh, in November of 2015, but he's also he lost to guys like Godofredo Pepe and uh, Maximo Blanco, kind of the more kind of upper level guys, I would say. And so he really, I haven't seen much from him that that makes me think that he can like one day become a contender. I don't think he's bad, and I think that he can. I think that he's good enough to hang around in the UFC, but. He, he has a really tough test in front of him. But, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts here? Miles Jury was a big lightweight. Like, I mean, 5'11", yeah. he's he's tall and lengthy. And I remember when he went down to featherweight, I was like, why in the hell is he going down to featherweight? He's already a yeah. really big yeah. lightweight. And, you know, his featherweight debut against uh, Charles Oliveira didn't go so well. I mean, I... Mm-hmm. This is like a side note. I don't know why he went to featherweight. I mean, he got you got beat by Donald Cerrone. I don't know why you go to a different weight class because I mean, Donald Cerrone beats everybody. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, that's a side note. But besides that, I mean, you know, his he's six and two. Like you were saying, he was a really good prospect. Like I was, I remember almost getting annoyed by watching him because I'm like, damn, he's beating all the guys I like. Like. Michael Johnson, <laughs> Ramsey Nijum, Diego Sanchez, and Gomi, and he kind of was doing that thing like he beat Sanchez, and he's like, "Wow, that was really easy." And then he went and beat yeah. Gomi, 
and he knocked out Gomi, and he's like, "Dad, I didn't think that was going to be so easy." I'm like, "Man, Miles, you're you're really making a lot of enemies by doing this." But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he had that fight with Cerrone, which, like I said, he he was he was resistant and didn't want to engage with Cerrone for good reason. Not a lot of people like engaging with Donald Cerrone, and then he <laughs> went and lost that fight with uh, Charles Oliveira, which Oliveira is one of the best grapplers in the lightweight and or featherweight division, so that's not, that's not a knock on him there. He's had like a long layoff, too, like you were saying. I mean, a full year. When I saw his name, I'm like, oh, shit, Miles Jury's fighting. I haven't seen him fighting forever. So, I'm excited. I'm excited to see Miles Jury back in the ring. I, I don't like him being a featherweight, and, but he Overall, just skill-wise, he's very well-rounded. I mean, seven knockouts, five submissions, three decisions. He's fought top-tier competition, and he's beaten top-tier competition. I mean, Michael jo- Michael Johnson's a top-ten lightweight. He wasn't at the time, but, you know. So, Miles Jury's a really good fighter. I don't see anything that Mike Delator will do to really shock Miles Jury. And like all the names, Miles Jury's been in there before. I don't think it's going to be a surprise. And Mike Delator is he's kind of a smaller featherweight, you know. I think the size is going to be a big factor. And I think the striking of Miles Jury will be, you know, the long, the rangingness. I mean, 5'11 at featherweight is huge. I just Yeah, yeah. I think what it comes down to for me is Miles Jury is a contender at featherweight and lightweight, and Mike Delator is, you know, gatekeeper at best. Yeah, it's sad to say that, but like you were saying, he's in the middle to low end of the UFC roster at featherweight. So I just, unless he lands a shot, and you know, he has has crisp striking, he has good striking, but everyone he's lost to, you know, Mark Bocek, throwback, Brian Ortega before he got got overturned for uh, Ortega, test positive for steroids, Maximo Blanco, you know, Godofredo Pepe. So... Like you say, he's middle to low end. He has, you know, pretty good boxing, pretty good striking, but I just don't think he's going to give anything that Miles Jury hasn't seen before. Yeah, unless Mike Delator gets him up against the cage and, you know, lands some shots and swarms him, I just, I just think Miles Jury is going to walk away with this fight with ease, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree here. Uh, how do you see Miles Jury getting his hand raised? Like, I, I think, like, cause I'm picking him by finish, but how do you think he's gonna? How do you think he's gonna get the job done? I think it will be very similar to, you know, what Godofredo Pepe did. I think mm-hmm. he can, I think he can get his jiu-jitsu game going. Essentially, Big Brother Mike Delator, because like I've said a thousand times, I mean Miles Jury's big. Like he's yeah. really big. I don't understand why he's a. I know I've said that. It drives me crazy. Like, why are you cutting more weight when you were already a top 10 guy at the weight above? Like, I don't understand. That's driving me crazy. I think it's weakening his performances because he didn't look that great against, you know, Charles Oliveira. I think, you know, the striking will be somewhat even. I think Miles Jury will have an edge because Miles Jury is actually pretty crafty on the feet himself. And he uses his kicking game really well, and he uses his boxing range really well. But I think it will be pretty even on the feet, and then I could see Miles Jury getting the clinch, getting the fight to the ground, and submitting Mike Delator in the first round, honestly. Yeah, I see it going the same way here. I think that 
The only way that I really see Jerry losing here is that it is a layoff for him. He didn't fight at all in 2016, um, hasn't fought in 2017 yet. And so if he does come in with a little bit of ring rust, it is possible that that could show uh, Mike Delatore. He does have some decent power, uh, some good boxing skills. So maybe if Jerry's a little bit rusty early on, then Delatore could catch him. But yeah, overall, I just see... I just see Jerry being the better fighter everywhere. Like you said, that size is just going to be a big, big factor here. And it's going to be an even bigger factor when he gets this fight to the ground because Jerry, I think on the feet, yeah, it's close. Delator might have the better, like, technical boxing skills, but Jerry will have a big advantage with his wrestling, his really good grappling skills. And so I just think that Jerry's just going to get this fight to the ground and lock on a submission before too long. You know, it's, I think it'll only be a matter of time for him. So provided that the UFC ring rust isn't too bad for him, I think that he will clinch up, get the fight to the ground, and lock on a submission within, like, the first one or two rounds. So I think we're in agreement here. We both have Miles Jerry getting his hand raised and pretty early at that. But uh, with that, it looks like we are coming to an end of our first show here. Uh, we just finished breaking down all of the prelims. And so for our next show, we'll focus on the main card. Uh, yeah, Matt, thank you very much for helping me break down the card. It was a lot of fun. And I think that it's going to be a good time breaking down the main card as well. Uh, where can people find you at on social media? On Twitter, you can find me at, at Matt Cole Webb, M-A-T-T-C-O-L-E-W-E-B-B for all your Twitter needs. And, uh, yeah, man, the main card. I'm excited to I'm excited to break down the main card. A lot of interesting fights, and yeah, the prelims were really, really good too. But the main card is going to be really special. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, guys, thank <laughs> you for tuning in. Uh, make sure to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Funky Monkey MMA. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kane E Miller, and keep up with the site for the latest interviews, event photos, and analysis pieces. We'll see you next time where we break down the UFC 210 main card. Legends of the Cage, proud sponsor of Funky Monkey MMA Radio, helping legends of yesterday and tomorrow. You can find them on Twitter at TrueMMAHOF or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of the Cage or go to the website, LegendsOfTheCage.com. That's Legends of the Cage together with Funky Monkey MMA Radio. You can listen to Funky Monkey MMA Radio on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, Cast Roller, the TuneIn Radio app, MMAFutures.com, LoveMMA.com, MMAWreckage.com, and FightBookMMA.com. For the freshest news and notes on all things MMA, get over to FunkyMonkeyMMA.com. Interested in sponsoring the show? Then send an email to FunkyMonkeyMMA at gmail.com. You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA.